Welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a wine podcast where we get far beyond the bottle, but to the personalities, the people, the stories even that we've learned play a huge role in contributing to what makes what's inside this bottle so special. We use these stories to understand the people better, the wine better, and of course, this place better. A place doing it, let's be honest, better than anyone else in the game at the moment. And that's Paso Robles Wine Country. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Super pumped on this episode. We're going to talk about this drive through Paso that we're about to embark on in a sec. First, I want to remind you that we have our second annual virtual wine auction. It's going on right now as we speak. It goes on until Saturday. Get to PasoWine.com. Learn more. I'll break down some of these lots after the conversation. Man, some really exciting ones. Lots going on there. Until then, PasoWine.com, and we'll get to it all after today's conversation. Today, the episode is called Drive Through Paso. And it's named after a book I learned more about at Blendfest a couple months ago. And I've been anxiously waiting for my opportunity to get both those involved onto the show. And today's our day. The book Drive Through Paso, it's a resource. It's a must. The second book in their series, the first being Drive Through Napa. And I'm so curious to ask them just how, you know, knowing about how they made this book now, how much more fun it must have been to make this book in Paso, knowing just how great the people are and how exciting and fresh the scene is here. I'm excited to hear the whole thing from them. We're going to meet both Paul Hodgins and Nashad Huda. Paul actually had a previous book that I have at home called The Winemakers of Paso Robles, but it's a very different book. The Winemakers is more of a table book. It's, it's big. It's got a presence to it. It's heavy. It's got great pictures. It's a great piece. I, like I said, I have it at home, but this book is very different. A little bit on both men. Paul Hodgins, he earned a doctorate in music from USC and was a professor of dance at UC Irvine before switching gears to journalism, where his art reviews and wine writing have won several honors and awards. Nishad is a Chi-Town native residing in California. His day spent as the director of strategy for Wonderman Thompson, the largest creative agency on the planet, where he works with global technology and consumer brands. Now, he moonlights as the founder of I Like This Grape. Their mission is to make wine relatable to millennial audiences through unique wine events and publishing the drive through series of books. Both these men, very smart, very good at what they do, I've learned. They made a joke about riding up in the car together from L.A., and I was thinking to myself how fun that would have been to be in the backseat and sit and listen to these conversations and participate in what they're talking about on their drive up. We also thought it would be fun to meet with one of the winemakers featured in the book, and the list of winemakers is awesome. They really met with some great people, many of them you've heard on this podcast before, but one we have yet to hear, and it's been far too long since I've got a chance to talk to him on the air, is Steve Peck, the vice president of winemaking at J-Lore. Now, you may remember we featured J-Lore, we had Cynthia Lore on the podcast well over a year and change ago. They were redoing the whole tasting room, so we recorded it outside. We had a great conversation. Loved that chat with Cynthia. So it's going to be fun to kind of go back to the location, see how it's changed since then. But Steve, Steve Peck is great. He's just so nice, so amiable. He's quick, incredibly smart, and is himself always learning, tasting, chatting, and very involved in the community. So we meet at JLOR, where they also sell the book. And we have just the most hospitable setup you can imagine. Big table, tons of wines on it, and just about everything we need. Even a tasting menu they personally made 
of what we're going to be trying. That's titled Where Wine Takes You Podcast. So legit. Also here sitting in Chris Toronto, communications director for Paso Wine. He worked with Nashad and Paul on parts of the book. Always cool to hang with Chris. So what do you say? Let's get right into it. And after the conversation, I'll tell you how you can get your hands on an exclusive autographed copy of this book from this show. Until then, buckle up. Let's see where wine takes us as we drive through Paso. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Cheers. Right. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for hosting. Yes. Oh, look thank at this. Yeah, thank you, thank you to J-Lord. Let me get you. down there. Because we've got yes, some thank you. other thank folks you. here. This and is cheers. so much fun. <laughs> you know, um, I love interviewing folks who have written a book. I love interviewing authors and folks who have put a book together. And so this is going to be a fun episode because not only are we going to talk about drive through Paso Robles, mm. but we're gonna we're here at JLOR, and we got Steve Peck here. How long has it been since we've hung out on the air? It's My been, God, it's been too long. You know, I I I, I feel like you've you've been uh, dating other winemakers uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the last ten years. <laughs> well, the first time we did a show with you, it was in your cellar, and you probably had been here. What you came here in what oh seven oh seven uh, yeah, yeah okay. So we probably did this in maybe. Uh, 10 or 11, and uh, we did it in your cellar. I just remember we had such a good connection with you. Jeremy and I absolutely loved you. I've always had a good rapport with you throughout the years, so to have you like back on the air again is a real treat because you're one of those folks where we had a great time on the air. I learned a lot, but also I've really liked you off the air. So it's fun to have a, a dynamic like that with someone where you like them off the air, but they're great on the air too. So this feels like a real treat for me. Yeah, no, that makes me feel good. And uh, I think uh, Brianna Haywood uh, joined us in that in that recording session back in the barrel room years ago. Yeah. And she's gone on to have a great career as a, as a winemaker herself. But uh, then also yeah. Sarah, um, Sarah Shotwell. So, yeah, that's she right. She uh, started a great, music, great band with her husband and Beth and... Her, all four of them, Fialta, they've done great. So I don't know. I, I still have some folks from that time that I'm still in contact with. So that was really neat. But uh, drive through past Robles, this book, uh, we do have Paul Hodgins and Nishad Huda here. Guys, what is up? What is going on? What's up with you, man? Thanks for having hey. us. Good How are you, here. Paul? Good to see you guys. First met you guys at Blend Paso. Yeah, back in February. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it was just fun to like talk to you guys for a few minutes and like get into what you guys are about. Um, how did you guys first meet up? Because I know you, Paul, uh, have written other books. I don't know, Nishad, how, what, what, give me a, I want to get both of your histories on this. Right. And then I want to talk about how they collided. This is kind of a good story. Well, it doesn't show me in a good light, but it's a good story. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm at the Orange County Register where I'd been for years. And um, I actually uh, had started there as the, as the theater critic. About five or six years into, my, into the job, um, my editor came up to me and said, uh, how would you like to write about wine? I went, sure, I, I like wine. I drink it sometimes. He's, and uh, it was obvious to both of us I knew nothing about wine. But the, uh, wine, the, the wine writer there, uh, Chris Knapp, had been promoted to investigations editor. And he knew a little bit more about wine than I did, but not much. And I thought, well, if Chris can do it, I can do it. Right. right. That's journalism. You learn by doing, making mistakes. Your readers correct you. Eventually, you get to know a thing or two. So I was about, I don't know, 10 years into the job, and it was one of many things I did. In newspapers, you don't do just one thing anymore. You do a lot of things. So I was doing... I know uh, nothing about that. I work in radio. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I get a call one day out of the blue from this guy. 
And uh, he has some ideas about um, uh, a new venture he'd started called I Like This Grape. And it was kind of a lifestyle uh, platform and wine plus other things. It sounded a little crazy to me. And I listened to him for a while. And finally, I stopped and I said, well, what do you want from me? Yeah, so basically the whole concept was like, by trade, I'm a strategist. That's what I do for a living. I work for the largest advertising agency in the world. Um, and when you look at strategy, you try to look at trends in the marketplace of what's going on and where is the future going. And at that point, this was about nine years ago, to me, it was like, I look at the wine world, which I was geeky about. It's, you know, a multi-billion dollar industry. It's huge. And then you look at consumers. People are moving the way they buy wine, discover wine, become ambassadors and loyalists to wine. It was changing. And there's this misalignment between where the wine world was and its consumers in the future. And so I had some concepts of like, how do you make wine more relatable to the next audience that's coming up? Look, the reality is I did not know what, uh, you know, some of these wines were if it wasn't for hip hop music, right? Biggie Smalls told me what some Dude, of Dude, I love that. Was, Cheers to you, know? you just for a second, because you and I both love hip-hop. Yeah, I'm a I mean, big I got my head. sex ed from West Coast hip-hop. Yeah, there you go. You know, like in school. I mean, there's so much that hip-hop taught yeah. us. Yeah. It, it did. It really did. You know, and the reason... And so, so I, when I reached out to Paul, I'm like, who can I talk to about some of these theories that I have about wine and where the strategy and stuff goes? I reached out to this guy, and I'm like, look, I'll take you out to lunch. I just want you to hear me out. So we go to lunch at Gabby's, I think, in, in Santa yeah. Ana. Yeah, it's Gabby. Um, and he's sitting across from me. I don't know him from Adam, right? And if you look at Paul... He looks like a wine critic, let's be honest. Right? <laughs> and That's I love a little Paul. James Sucklingish. Yeah, he is, right? He yeah, is. I can see it. I, sure. I work on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're sitting across, and I'm just spewing it on my soapbox. And he's like, uh, at the end of it, this is when he says the best line ever after 30 minutes. like, well, what do you want from me? <laughs> you know, my answer is like, nothing. I just, I just need a sounding board. And so ever since then, Paul and I have been friends and kind of been going on these adventures of new crazy shit that I... Sorry, we can like, curse? There's no FCC here. Maybe it's a podcast. Um, then... Yeah. I'll be careful. But so, yeah, you know, we, these kind of like new concepts of like, how do you make wine more relatable to, to younger and newer audiences, right? Um, and that's what we've been doing. And this book is no different and it's one more kind of tool to do that. And this is the second in what is it going to be an ongoing series? I mean, first was obviously drive through Napa. I'm so curious because we're going to get into what the book does. And I put it that way on purpose because, like I said to you guys off the air, I really feel like this book is definitely meant to be more than read. It's meant to be used. And I feel this book has done its duty when it's been beat up a little bit, when it's got some writings on the pages. There's probably some earmarks on it. That's when I think you're really doing uh, this book justice, and it's doing the same back to you. So um, I'm so curious, though. I don't even want to wait to ask this. How different was it to do this book, Meet the People of Paso versus Napa? Ooh, here's a loaded question. <laughs> I, I already had some familiarity with, with um, the area. I've been covering it for a few years. And I had written a giant coffee table book called The Winemakers of Paso Robles, which you guys probably remember. A I have it on my coffee table. Yeah, it's a <laughs> coffee table book that is actually as big as a friggin' coffee table. Put legs right. on it, it could be a coffee totally table. Totally right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but so it's I, a piece. It's a furniture piece. I mean, it's like a, it's a piece for the thing. It's like, yeah. you know, it's a beautiful piece. You have the beautiful pictures. It's big. It's, yeah. So I mean, it's very different than this. But uh, the, the good thing about writing that book was that it, it, um, it got me entree to, to this world. And I got to talk to people like Steve and just wonderful winemakers, all of them, and, um, and great people. And I just found uh, I'd been covering Napa for a while. And, uh, you know, I love both areas. I just found uh, Paso to be a little more accessible. They were... They were a little more willing to talk to me about their trade secrets and things like that, you know, Um, and they seemed friendly with each other, 
which uh, was another thing that I noticed was a kind of a contrast to Napa. I'm not and I love Napa that you down. said that. No, no, of course you're not. But I mean, these aren't things that I'm hearing for the first time right now, believe right, me. Right. But my point is, I love how you said they seem friendlier to each other. Yeah. Because they could be friendly to the consumer. Right. But when you see that relationship behind the scenes, mm-hmm. I mean, and this is something Steve will talk to, I'm sure. But um, there is something to that. I'm glad that you put it that way. Yeah. I think this has certain competitiveness to Napa. And, uh, you know, you can point your finger at a lot of reasons. I think Possibly it's because they all make the same product up there, right? Right. It's chocolate or vanilla, Cabernet or yeah, Chardonnay. Yeah, 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 right. So they're all in the same market, competing with each other with the same wines. And here, it's much more diverse. That might it's like have thrifties. It's like chocolate malted crunch, <laughs> mint and chip. Yeah, <laughs> we have our own thing. flavor you want, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do love. I do love thrifties. That is old school. Um, so the book comes. You guys collide. You do Napa, and obviously must do okay, right? You, so you say, hey, and the shot. You put your hat on. You're like, let's put this one in tasting rooms on the internet like let's just get this in hands of people. yeah it was though you know where it goes was sort of secondary to just getting the project done i think a lot of people talk about doing things and following their passions and but it you know great ideas have many grandfathers it's all about execution so for us it was like okay well we, we can do it we have an incredible author yeah right i know strategically where i want to where i want to take the book and the concepts behind it i mean even the napa book we specifically had conversation i was like the book has to be 90 minutes long and paul's like why I can't put, you know, then Paul was Paul. And I was like, well, because that's the flight time from Orange County, California to San Francisco and the drive time from San Francisco to Napa Valley. Like the intentionality of everything that we've done in our books is, is I think it's, no one's ever thought about it that way. No, but, right. I mean, look at the font. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the pic- font, the yeah. design. I mean, you know, I get a lot of, sometimes I get a lot of comments. We get comments. Well, how come there's no photos of vineyards in the, wine, in, in the book? And I'm like, well, if I'm always thinking about the consumer, which I am, they can't tell the difference, nor do they really care from one vineyard to the other. So let's be real with ourselves. Why would I do that? It yeah. doesn't make any sense. One it doesn't add looks value. Much like another, really. Great point. Yeah. Right. So the so it's the book is written from the consumer's point of view. Like even for this book, you know the the forward of the book is written by Prentice Penny, and if you know who he is, he's the writer director of that film Uncorked, which is on Netflix. Writer director of the show on HBO called Insecure. And when I asked him to write it, he told us he's like, "Well, I don't know anything about Paso," and I'm like. That's exactly why I need you to write it. Yeah. Right? If, if, we're, if we're writing this book for the purpose of discovery and, you know, newness, then you're the perfect person to write this. How do you find someone to publish it? Do you self-publish it? What did you do? We self-published it. I think in today's day and age, you know, I think self-publication is the easiest way to go. And plus, we both have day jobs. I don't have time running around. Yeah. yeah. You know, talking to y- Years ago, I tried to pitch a book about the wines of Paso Robles to University of California Press, which has published some good wine books. And um, the guy I was working with was very nice, but he said, you know, there's just not enough interest in the Central Coast. I'm like, really? <laughs> this was only uh, six, seven, eight years ago. Really? That long ago. And I thought, Because wow, I mean, we, a- we had won, I mean, shoot, we won Wine Region of the Year in 13. That's yeah, right. I, I mean, know. like. I, and I knew I couldn't really argue with him because he was a gatekeeper. <clears throat> sure. Right? And that is the problem with traditional publishing. There's always a gatekeeper saying no to a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Wow. So um, what I love about this book, and, and I want to talk to you, Nishad, as far as, did you almost act like, I mean, he's, he's a, a great author and can put all these thoughts in, in a way that is great to digest, but you need to rein him in and you need to rein, kind of like, okay, this is what the mission, do you almost like serve yes. as an editor per se? Editor per se, um, 
Yeah, there's a lot of red penning going back and forth. Is this a little bit of a pain in your ass, Paul? Oh, well, of course. He's yeah. an editor. They're they're the enemy. That, yeah, that's that was the rule of. <laughs> so what are these what are these conversations where you're like, look, I mean, because you've been doing it as you know your wife. We were talking off the air, like yeah. guys have been dealing with editors your career. What are these conversations with you and Nishad? Like, no, I I think look, I this needs to be in there, and yeah. Nishad's like, no, it doesn't. It's it's like that. I mean. He always harped on 90 minutes, 90 minutes. How about a two-hour read? How about yeah. a two-and-a-half-hour Come on. Your plane might get delayed. You're sitting there. You're waiting. Could be two-and-a-half hours. Right, yeah. So we argued about that a little bit. But he was good at just paring things down. He'd say, really, can you, we can say this in fewer words, or let's jump to this other thing. Sometimes he wanted more stuff. Like, I wrote in passing about Jesse James, right, which is an interesting little historical footnote to the area. Yeah. And he said, this is really this is great stuff. Let's find out more about Jesse James. So I went back to the, the, uh, the archives and the basement of the, of the library and, and found out more. What, so, tell me a little bit of the Jesse James stuff that you learned. The well, tunnels and um, stuff or what? We, you know, the basic story, which I think everybody knows, is that he, he and his brother hid out at their uncle Drury's ranch uh, out here east of uh, several miles east of Paso, quite a few miles east of Paso. And uh, they, he was recovering from a gunshot wound. From the the robbery gone bad in Missouri, I think, and so he needed a place to hide out where nobody knew him. So he came here, and stayed for quite a while. I think it was more than a year. Yeah, and then we also discovered, you know, this guy wanted extra info. So uh, apparently, someone discovered his initials or his name carved in a rock somewhere around here. Stop it. Yeah. And I'll, oh, I'll put that in. Right. Uh, so I, I got these little gems from here and there to sort of, you know bulk up the story a little bit yeah so he's good at you know honing in on the things that he he has a, a good instinct for what people will be interested in i think and um and sure it's important got, to, it's important to trust that isn't it i mean it because there, i've always loved that relationship between either say a musician and their producer or an author and their editor because especially when you're talking about a book mm-hmm. like you really he's he's got to trust you to bring it but you really got to trust who's ever kind of cutting it down to cut it in the right spots right and i should add he didn't want me to simplify uh, you know dumb it down i right. mean we get really geeky in the uh, sub eva chapters thanks in part to this guy here chris uh, so we we didn't want to shy away from really drilling down into things. We just wanted to make sure that it was a a fairly easy, a fairly short read, no yeah. matter what we wrote yeah. about. It's, lo- it's not. We don't want to insult people's intelligence. No, sure, right? Because yeah. that's like sure. whack. I'm not. You're not going to see things in here about here are the best wines to drink with hamburgers. And I mean, right? That's the way we don't Other need to see that. Do that. Yeah, I don't want to insult anybody. Uh, okay, so let's go through the book a little bit in a shot. Where what were the the key things? I mean, look, uh, like Paul noted, there's a part where we break down the the eleven sub AVAs, and we do have Chris Tarana here to chime in on that in a second. But you have pieces in the end where you sit down and have a question and answer a session for a page or two where they answer three, four questions. And then in the end, there's like, you know, a wine taster's log where you can talk about the wine you tasted, when you did it, notes. And even uh, like I met Steve Peck and got his autograph in a place where you could sign right there. Yeah, I mean, we wanted, yeah, so, I mean, the book is really three sections, right? The first section is the history of Paso Robles when it, when it gets into the format. Like we're talking about many years ago of how the formations of these mountains and things came about and how that impacted the land and how it, and that eventually impacts the wine that's being made. Yeah. The Why second is the West Side calcareous, for example, we get into the geological reasons for that. Yeah. yeah, it gets real geeky into that. The second the second chat the second part of the book goes into the the sub ABAs here. Um, what makes them unique, what makes them interesting, what kind of wines you should expect from those regions. And the third section, it's winemaker interviews. And, I, and the way, one, of the, one of the departures that we have, I think, from typical winemaker interviews is, and Steve will tell you this, is we're not asking him to talk about his wines. 
So the winemakers aren't talking about their wine. They're, they're talking about the, you know, the history of Paso and where they see Paso going in the future and what makes Paso so unique, right? So we, we took the idea of, and you guys mentioned this earlier, of how there's so much as camaraderie in Paso. And it's really about the region and not about the winery sometimes. And so we wanted to bring that out from the winemakers. That's what we did, right? You're talking to, to Mr. Steve Peck. You're talking to, to Justin Smith and Austin Hope and Daniel Dow. And sometimes things that they said were contradictory to each other, and that's okay, too. You know what's so cool when you talk about people like some of those folks? And uh, over the course of um, doing what I've done here, some of these have been hard interviews to get. Some of them have not. And for some folks who are like as smart and as connected as Steve Peck to not know who the hell Adam Montiel is, but to grant him an interview, like, I mean, it's, it's so cool. And, and when you first got connected with these guys, Steve, uh, talk about that, what that was like and, and how you first learned about them. Yeah. You know, Paul did a good job describing his first phone call from the shot. You just get this ball of fire and you're like, who is this guy? And you're holding the phone, you know, foot away from your ear, just trying to follow where, you know, what his vision is and, and, and so on. And I'm a little bit like, well, you know, can I transfer you to the marketing department or can I transfer, you know, hold please. And, uh, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, you can, you can imagine, you know, with the title, of, of director of winemaking then, at, you know, and, and today vice president of winemaking. You, you know, Congrats you get, on the promotion. You know, well, thanks. Yeah. But you, you get these calls from everybody, the guys that want to sell you corks, the guys that want right. to buy your old corks. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, the, 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 you get all kinds of inquiries. You, yeah. uh, you so you were, he, it was a little sus in the beginning. We were like, we're kind of feeling this out. <laughs> yeah, feeling it out. And, and then, yeah. but once he mentioned Paul's name, I was kind of fish on at that point. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Look at that, Paul. Yeah. What does that feel like to well, hear that? Makes me feel totally unworthy of the well, honor. <laughs> be, yeah. Be, be, yeah. Be, because of his history and his, his yeah. you know, he, you know, he kind of had that line in his resume, that, you know, the winemakers of Paso book and all that. So, yeah. and that, uh, do you roast coffee as well, or no, is, am I thinking of somebody else? Sorry? I guess I, you, you don't roast coffee. No. I'm thinking of somebody else. Uh, somebody uh, from your neck of the woods brought, oh, really? me, brought me some home-roasted coffee. Oh, is that the way to your heart? Yeah. <laughs> I, I see. Good a good, good dark roast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, now all the guys that want to sell corks are going to send him coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul's taking notes right now. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Yeah, and and so, um, you know, it was, it, you know, you know, just check with the lower family. We're on board. And, yeah. and, and cool. I really love this, you know, the, the, the autographs, the utility of this book, like yeah. you said, you yeah. know, a worn copy is, is what, you know, what you aspire to with this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's so funny. Like I could see like barrel rack guys, everyone's listening now going like, all right, we're going to send uh peck some coffee. We're yeah, totally. <laughs> That's totally going to happen. Uh, Toronto. Let me ask you, um, I'm curious, like we asked Steve, um, how you first learned of what Nashad and Paul were putting together. Well, I had worked with, with Paul in the past, uh, for a number of things. Uh, his just plain articles with the the register. Also worked with Anne in the past and creating some um, Paso kind of experiences and the like. And so it, it was interesting when I got a call out of the blue also from Nashad. It was kind of like, <laughs> all right, whatever. Here's another guy who wants to make a book about Paso and they probably want me to pay for it. You know, because uh-huh. PRWCA, they're made of money. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he's like, no, 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 we'll, 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 we'll self publish and we'll, we're doing it ourselves. And, and I'm working with Paul. I was like, oh, all right. Well, 
You got Paul on board, huh? You know, it's well, kind of one of those things. Nashad, let me ask you, because Paul, is, just in these two conversations, was an incredible piece of this coming together as well as it did. I mean, his reputation alone helped build a foundation that made these great names want to be involved. 100%. And I think we should stop talking about it, because i got to be in a car with him for four hours, <laughs> heading back to Orange County. And I don't really need any, any more right. Paul's big-ass head in the car. That's um, so good. No, well, it, it helped legitimize it for me yeah. to be involved in, in any way. At, at all because honestly how many times do I get a call about somebody writing a book there's so many mm-hmm. and so many have like come and gone to say oh I'm writing and then oh, what happened to that guy what happened to that person you know and now and or movies too that's always oh or or reality television shows yeah want to uncover the dirt of Paso or something like that you know <laughs> when I was putting this show together and you and I will text here and there often um, you had let me know that this was a this was a passionate this was something that you really felt close to yeah yeah, absolutely. I thought that they were kind of going about it in a really cool way because he sent me the the Napa book. I didn't read it, um, but, it, it, but it, it, I love the honesty. All the dirt that comes out. I know, afterwards. right? <laughs> Steve going like, "Who the hell is this guy?" I, I read a little Chris, bit of it, Chris, but I didn't read it front to back. I didn't. It yeah. didn't take me ninety minutes either. No, I'm uh, and so, uh, but but just getting through it and you know and seeing the the style and what they were going for, I thought, "Oh, this is different. This is kind of cool." Uh, and then when they reach back out to say, "Hey, we need information about the AVAs," it just so happened and coincided with the fact that we were doing um, a, a blog series about every AVA and doing like history and then getting into soil and climate and all of that and uh, using the TTB filings um, to, you know, take it from the science talk into something a little bit more narrative uh, and that they were interested in, in utilizing some of that stuff. It, they really kind of help once again, just kind of really create a, a really neat, neat, kind of approach at talking about Paso because as you know I love talking about the science of Paso and yeah. the soils and the climate you know that and so with them wanting to do something like that then that really felt kind of cool like okay they're serious like they're they really do want to like like create something usable and yeah. that's, I think that's what we keep saying right now too is, is that how how usable how utility of a book this is uh, that you can actually like kind of you know in that bigger font read it if you're driving or moving or doing something and, and and then also have space to write notes and highlight things and that's the approach they took and and you know the at the moment I saw some of that first copy, it's like, yeah, this is cool. I yeah. dig it. Drive through Paso Robles is the name of the book. And we'll tell you uh, later on how you can get your hands on a copy of it. And hopefully uh, we'll get your hands on a couple signed copies of it. Mm-hmm. I love if we have a couple extra copies here, it'd be fun yeah. to have yeah. you guys all sign some and a couple listeners can, can win some, you know, we talk about these uh, 11 sub AVA, Steve and J was really one of the, the role players uh, throughout those years. And, um, pushing this through and getting this getting this kind of to uh, across the finish line weren't they yeah um you know with jerry lore he's he's really um all about community and he's he's done a great job over the years just you know p- pulling uh, stakeholders together um and and kind of bringing the best out of everyone um you know whether it's in a town hall format or, or uh kind of one-on-one he's he's really good whether it's uh through his uh philanthropy you know raising money for uc davis and you know he'll come and he's pretty good at twisting arms at other guys with the (laughs) 
you know, with the uh, checkbooks, the, you know, the caliber needed to yeah. to build a new wing on the viticulture department or, or to build the new winery down at Cal Poly mm-hmm. and um, those kind of things. And I think, you know, laying out, uh, you know, just kind of dealing with all the self-interests uh, uh, or divided interests around, you know, defining those 11 sub-AVAs. I think that's where, you know, Jerry did, uh, uh, along with his son, Steve Lohr, really, uh, who was... Uh, he was a director of the PRWCA. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, uh, Steve was on our board at the time, and uh, that was that was a really fun and interesting time uh, because we had a lot of those meetings right here at JLOR, right over mm-hmm. in that other room, where we would be looking at maps and topos and all all kinds of really cool so cool stuff. and just yeah. and having uh, some some kind of group forums about it as well, just to kind of clarify what a lot of the intent was. Because the way those eleven AVAs went down, true truly, is because. The the AVA wanted to do it, meaning the vintners and growers. They pooled their funds. They did it on their own. They had their own separate committee. Um, we, the alliance, helped to administer it and helped kind of guide it through, along with that AB 87, that, that, that bill that created the conjunctive labeling law. So by working, though, with, with this group, um, and that was an independent group, they really you know they had the, the all the best interests interests in mind and and Jerry was such a major major part of that Jerry and uh and Robert Robert Haas yeah well. yeah so we're 8 years in on on we uh, let's see 20? it was uh it was submitted in 07 it was uh, approved yeah in 14, in 14. and so here we are you yeah. know, uh, Nishad, to bring it back to hip-hop, uh, in the late 90s and early aughts, uh, probably more late 90s, there was a lot of talk of East and West yep. in Paso. And literally, you're dividing up the region by a freeway, which is just not the way to divide a region. So um, I think to kind of go the 11 sub-AVS, and I have great spirited conversations with Gary Eberly, who I have a deep affection for, and he is like, don't see the point of him. There's other folks who do see the point of him, and, and I get, you know, and I respect Gary Eberly, and I, I, I get it. But um, there is something... There is varied aspects of this large growing region in pa- in California called the Paso AVA that that I feel warrants these sub districts. Yeah, that's sure. that's kind of where I was going with it. If, you know, eight years in, you know, I think you know people with Gary's point of view are, are, are the minority. I think mo- most of us winemakers we really uh, uh, can rely on those sub AVAs as helping us define what the wine style is going to be for a particular. And I don't uh, want to misrepresent what variety. Gary wasn't yeah. saying it should be east and west. He was just saying yeah. we just don't need anything. Pass well, yeah, the, and no. since fourteen. Uh, just seeing how things have evolved here. I mean, in, in 14, 15, 16, we're kind of like, oh, okay, we've got these new AVAs. Now what? You know, it's kind of like when, you, when you, you get to take your newborn baby home. You put them in the car. You get them home. You drive home. Okay, now we're here. Now what do we do? You're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You know. We're. You know. We've. You know. We were founded as Chardonnay House, of course, in Monterey in the early '70s. But J. Lord today is really known as a as a Bordeaux House, Cabernet House, and we 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 grow Cabernet uh, at in five of these sub AVAs and purchase probably from another three or four. So when I hear. Okay, you know, so and so's got growing Cabernet in this sub AVA. I have a pretty good idea what that flavor profile is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, or even if it's like, oh, it's Malbec from you know, f- you know, from so you know, so and so. You know, it's gotten. It's, and some of the AVAs are too cold. You know, like you know, I don't, I don't think I, I want any of that Templeton Gap Cabernet. Thank you very much. It's just a little too cold there. Yeah. Mm. Now, uh, now, now, uh, though, I guess what I was getting at is that that, that baby has kind of grown a little bit, and now we're like, oh. Okay, we get it. We're like we're seeing more of those effects now because I think I think now we're taking the time to notice that 
because now those AVAs exist. So now what, what Steve was saying about Malbec or about uh, Cab or any other variety out there, you know, Petit Syrah, et cetera, is like, okay, grown here, grown there. There are certain expectations now that you have of them, especially when you start uh, kind of questioning the soil, the aspect, all those types of things. So it has become this tool that was forecast back then to say this, this is going to help define the area a little bit more. This is going to give us more context as we grow further into the future in understanding fruit from Paso. Yeah, and I still think it was probably more years where it'll even more develop, Paul. I was just going to add that as a, as a journalist, I've noticed um, that consumers um, really enjoy getting into the, the nitty-gritty of, of, uh, of regions, of sub-ABAs. I, know, I've noticed, I noticed that when writing about uh, Napa. Um, they like talking about the Rutherford dust or what makes Carnero so great for Chardonnay. They, they get into it. And um, I think there was, a, there was a real need for it here because this was a huge area, what, over 600,000 acres, right? It, it just needed to be divided, I think, for marketing purposes alone. Um, you needed to have that kind of uptick uh, in order to equal what, what Napa and other great wine regions do, which is to um, add distinctiveness to, to the, the the great variety of, of climates and uh, climates here. You know, you, you need to you needed to do that at some point in order to get to the next level. In order speak. in order for that awareness to get to the consumer, though, I feel it feels as though the the region itself has to adhere to it and has to really get behind it. Right? There's Rutherford Society. There's Carneros. This. There's Oakville. I mean, Napa has more mature. I understand from from the respect of their with when it comes to their sub ABAs and the and the. People the get longevity of them, yeah. Um, so, you know, is that happening here? In your opinion, is is there that is that maturity level on the right track to be where Napa is or other places in Steve and uh, Chris Toronto, who, by the way, is called the Beard of Paso? For- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll answer that if we're putting that mic towards sure. towards Chris. I mean, I feel like some people are adopting it. I okay. feel like we have some of the sub AVAs that are kind of like the cool kids club. I think Willow Creek is a very like esteemed thing to see on a bottle, Willow Creek district. And it's Adelaida, a lot of maybe even sure. Yeah. We, Adelaida is such a cool district. It's so varied. And it's one thing we learned mm-hmm. in the book. I mean, it's a very varied district, but I mean, sometimes these names in and of themselves can lend, you know, gravitas. Like a tick. I, I interviewed on my morning show, Anita from LXV, her and her husband, uh, Indian couple. They're fantastic. They have, um, they have some property in the Willow Creek. It's literally in between Saxum, Lene Coloto, and one other, uh, maybe close to land. It's just in the middle of all this, you know, wines that we all look and go, yeah. And, and the, they're just starting to plant it now. And so before, when maybe these 11 sub-AVs weren't quite a thing, now I think, and they would do dinners out there and sure. things like that, but now it's like there's going to be eight acres they're going to get from that, uh, this harvest. Sorry, are you talking about copia? No, LXV wine. LXV, okay. Yeah, Nita and Kunal Amital. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, uh, it, it, it is interesting now to see after these, these few years uh, which AVAs are getting a little bit more recognition. You know, we kind of knew Willow Creek and Adelaida because there's such a critical mass of wineries over there as it is, right? And so you, got, you have more there and more Teuton horns over there that's going to be a little louder than say as you come parts east but i think what we're really so like the highland district yeah exactly right because you're yeah. you know, is, there anyone, there's, there's, is there anyone in the highland i, mean, I know there's one it, horn one, one tasting room no no tasting room right, no. it's uh, but it's miller family essentially i mean french they, camp they have french camp vineyard but then you also have sintons with uh shell creek vineyards 
uh, out there. So it's basically two vineyards yeah. uh, that are in the Highlands District. Uh, and But you have a lot of people who source from there, like Valia from Desperata sources from Shell Creek, Hubba. Uh, you've got a lot of people, Giornata and... Uh, Who's the redheaded other? stepchild of the aviators? Would it be San Juan Creek? <laughs> San Juan Creek. Say something good about San Juan Creek, Chris. So Sunny Slope Vineyard, okay. uh, owned by Vine- Mesa Vineyard Management, is out there. Cool. It's a really neat, big vineyard, but it's also home to one of the oldest vineyards uh, in the whole AVA uh, that's uh, owned and managed, I think, by Will John and, and his family. Uh, that's the San Juan Vineyard. Is that north uh, of here? Just a little north? Like a San Miguel-ish? It's, no, it's actually east of here along Highway 46. Okay. So, so it's uh, even past Highlands, past Estrella. It's, uh, it's about equal. It's the far, oh, it's farthest east. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Great so, little reference book. <laughs> yeah, right. The shot keeps We're, pointing to different pages like perfectly. It's like, oh, well, there you go. James so, Dean almost made it to San Juan Creek, right? Yeah. <laughs> he made it. He was almost made it. Yes. He was yeah. on his way to, to Laguna Seca and he almost made it. Oh my gosh. Right. It's so funny. He almost made it into the AVA. So we're seeing we're seeing different AVAs get some critical acclaim or get, you know, more more uh, just you know, simple attention just simply because maybe that, like I was saying, that critical mass of wineries in, in certain areas. But what we're also starting to see is how certain uh, brands are able to kind of celebrate those AVAs a little mm-hmm. bit more when they do have something that's pretty breakthrough in a bottle that's really awesome. And then they decide, oh, all right, yeah, we're Geneseo's on this bottle or El Pomar or, you know, some of the other regions that might not be, you know, as getting all that, that attention. Uh, and and getting good attention because of it, you know? Yeah. Paul, let me ask you, because, you know, putting all these facts together, and uh, I, I know of a recent podcast we did with Cindy Steinbeck, and, mm-hmm. um, you you know, you have in here uh, early 20th century Italian families grow deep roots here, and we talk about that, that you know, Zen and, like, the mm-hmm. deuces, deuces and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Shout um, out to Janelle Deuces. I love Janelle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like, what were some of these early stories that really kind of, you know, lit a fire in you and were, were really fun to kind of learn? Oh, great question, mm, Adam. Yeah, You've was. done this before. I suppose, you know, all roads lead to the Deuces, at least when I was doing my research, and Janelle uh, helped a lot. I remember also hearing a, a story when we visited Turley years ago that people used to show up at Turley um, with empty gallon jugs. And wanting to buy their yeah. because it was the old uh, was it Pizzenti? Rota too. Yeah, I right? was one of those families. Yeah. I did that with my folks when and I it was cost, a kid. What, two yeah. bucks or something, some ridiculous little price, and uh, it was such a fascinating story for me that Paso had always been making good wine, but obviously not respected wine back in the day. Uh, it was great. It was cheap. People loved it. And this goes back what sixty, seventy, eighty years. Uh, that was a fascinating story to me, and it spoke so much to the the, the value and the foresight of the Italian families uh, that wrote us the Pizzentis, the Duzis, that really started viticulture here over a century ago. You know, when I first interviewed you, Steve Peck, I didn't even get some of the things that I got from this book. <laughs> and you, you, you came here, like you just noted, you came here with your parents and would taste different wines. Is that right? Yeah, I, I grew up in Ventura County, but yeah. my uncle and aunt were uh, high, uh, teachers up in Santa Cruz County. And so it was uh, normal, you know, two, three times a year we'd drive through. And yeah, we'd, we'd pull off at Pizzania Rota and fill up the jugs and take them. You what, know, what did it cost? Uh, oh, I, well, I was a kid, so yeah. I was sitting in the backseat. I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, but we'd get up, we'd get up there to Santa Cruz, and it was, which was kind of became one of the birthplaces of kind of the food movement, a little bit like Berkeley, you know, mm. with with you know Alice Waters and that that kind of food movement. You know, probably the first croissant I ever had was baked at Kelly's Bakery, or the first. Mm. 
cafe latte I had as a you know as, after I got out of high school was in Santa Cruz and and anyway so they were um, you know wine was kind of part of the entry fee to you know kind of a, the lifestyle we all enjoy today and mm-hmm. kind of putting the kind of hamburger helper culture behind <laughs> us you know and uh, at some point uh, you are you're working at Smuckers like the jam people yeah my first job out of is that in the book yeah my first job out of college was was, was with the, the book Smuckers yeah but, yeah what were you doing there <laughs> um, you know I, I was kind of uh, uh, riding herd over big crews har- uh, who were harvesting everything from apples strawberries peaches uh, cherries so you were uh, making my jelly for a while yeah we, we were uh, the part that would go from the field to the freezer okay and then they, they the way it works in the jelly business then they hold you know kind of a year's worth of harvest in the freezers and then they make the jelly you know every day throughout the year so when I'm right? drink, when I'm having like a Smucker's peanut butter and jelly sandwich I'm having like vintage two years ago jelly well you're, you're you know you're probably you know it's almost uh, like wine yeah uh, you know they make the, the jelly all year round but they yeah. only harvest once a year yeah so. yeah so but during this time you're making a few barrels of wine or you, you and your uncle are kind yeah of- my, my uncle you know made his first wine in 71 it was called Roly Poly uh, and then about two weeks later he made his second wine it was called Roly Poly 2 and that was where they took the skins from he the first a shot he needed a strategist <laughs> took the skin from the first fermentation added sugar and water back to it and re-fermented and made a second batch out of it wow yeah. oh that's, that's, that's incredible that's some thinking man. Man, that's innovation that's innovation and then when do you kind of make the transition to uh, wine but then not even just wine where wine took you yeah. to Paso uh, I, you know I, I was I was real lucky um, I, you know again I was kind of interested in food and wine I had applied to UC Davis to get into the wine program was accepted I'd made a trip up to Napa Valley and, and handed my resume out to a few places um, the summer prior to entering Davis and it was everybody told me no thanks no thanks and then one of the cellar guys at Phelps at Joe Phelps had, had was out uh, water skiing at Lake Berryessa and broke his arm and I got the call what? like hey we're a man short can you you know can you be up here you know, Monday. That's and, amazing. And I just hopped in my, you know, I, I quit my job at the liquor barn, sell, you know, doing, you know, wine retail and, and, and scooted up and, and uh, li- literally camped in, in the Joseph Phelps parking lot. Oh, my uh, one, God. In their little dirt lot. I had a, a, a army cot that slept, and I slept next to my Volkswagen bug, and I would, I would shower at the winery in the morning. Oh, my God. That's so great. Yeah. So. Out of a VW bug. <laughs> That's You're so a tall great. drink of water. How the hell did you yeah. fit in a bug? Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, there's plenty of headroom in a, in a beetle oh, if you think about it. Yeah. But, uh, leg room, not so much. Yeah, right. <laughs> what a great story. And then you meet Dolores Howe. And how did you come to J-Lor? Well, you know, I, I had uh, uh, come and, and uh, was was uh, running the red wine program for a, a brand called Five Rivers, which was owned by Brown Foreman, the, the oh. you know the Jack of Jack Daniels fame and all mm-hmm. the rest of that. And of course, they were one of many uh, spirits producers that that entered and then and then quietly exited the wine business over the years. It's, you know, Seagram's was probably the first to come and go. What Jim Beam tried it. You know, every, you know, several of them have tried it. And I was really uh, fortunate in 2007 to, to um, join J. Lore, which was, you know, obviously a pure play, family owned, you know, really a wine growing operation. Right. I mean, if you, you know, in France and Champagne, they talk about grower producer. And that, that's really kind of the model that I think of here at J. Lore, where we're farming 2,500 acres of our own grapes here in Paso, another thousand up in Monterey for Chardonnay wow. and 
uh, Pinot Noir and uh, and seeing it all the way through from the land through the farming through you know you know crushing the barrel rooms we just I don't know if you you, you got to look around the back of the winery there we just added another uh, you know, $10 million addition to the building wow. just to hold barrels. We yeah. can't make a drop more wine. We just age more. So it's, you know, it's a, little, it. yeah. a little bit like adding a fourth bedroom to your two-bedroom house or fourth bathroom to your two-bedroom house. Well, it's, you guys have been a calling card yeah. for Paso for so long. And I remember when I, you know, the Cork Dorks visited Bordeaux. We went to that Cituvin, which is like the largest wine shop in the world. It looks like a giant decanter. The thing is like crazy. <laughs> and then you walk in here and they got wine literally from all over the world. I had no idea they made wine in Ethiopia yeah. and this and that it was like crazy and then in the like American area they have these little stands standing up representing America is a bottle of Jaylor. <laughs> yeah, I knew that we were there. I've, I've been to Bordeaux a handful of times, but I've never gone to Sitivan, and uh, it's kind of on my list. So. Oh, you got to check it out. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. Because oh. yeah. you can go into that wine shop and not even pay for the rest of the museum, which is like <laughs> multiple floors, but the, just the wine shop to take that in is something. Yeah. It's like yeah. the biggest wine shop on earth. Like, it's nuts. I mean, he can also just walk in and say, I'm Steve Peck. It's right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, by the way, I made that right there. Yeah. So, <laughs> I represent like, America. I saw this funny video where this guy went into, like, like a Barnes & Noble with his comedy book, and he just started signing copies and stuff. Do you ever, like, you, you, want, you ever just, like, go into these places and just sign your books, Paul? That's kind of fun to do. Yeah, I guess it would be. Yeah. No, I, I haven't done that. No. Uh, I, I usually reserve my book signing for when we're up here, and people... Actually, that would be like here. Steve Peck going into a wine shop, finding all the bottles, or like going into like the grocery store, wow. finding all the bottles of Seven Oaks, <laughs> and just getting out and my just... sharpie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I do have that urge when I go into Costco because you know they have a little wine description above the yeah. floor stack, and it and I wrote so many years ago the the word you know Seven Oaks the tannin strikes your palate, yeah. and and today uh, when I go to Costco I see that word strikes the palate, and I go. I wrote that. And I want to. Really? I want to get out and you know an autograph. No it's, way. It's really a, a weird thing to think that I was sitting in my office, you know, in the double wide. By the way, we're building real offices as part of our ex- <laughs> new expansion. You know, and I type in a way of flavor description for that. That vintage. would be a funny video. You and I got to do that. Would you do that? Would you let like take a sharpie? I'll get you. We'll, we'll take a video. We'll go into Albertsons and you just sign <laughs> seven just, oaks. Just oh, offer to sign bottles. Isn't that dope? Do I love that. <laughs> I think that's a whole series of uh, wines. I mean. Uh, videos right there i love seven that seven oaks is the is probably the first cabernet i bought as a younger yeah human yeah. being uh, at bevmo at bevmo uh-huh. and they had it on they would have it on sale the five cent sale yeah you know and I'd be like, seven oaks is a great calling oh that's a it's a great calling it's card. a for a big you know someone getting into wine that yeah. is a ridiculously good cabernet yeah I, I call it the kind of the greeting card from Paso Robles or the handshake because yeah. it, it you know it is true for most consumers around the country if they've had you know one bottle of, of, of Paso Robles wine chances That's are it. it's Seven Oaks Cabernet and and you know just for what it's worth I mean you know grown produced bottle you know a barrel aged here you know every drop in the barrel so we're still you know kind of taking that you know traditional winemaking approach and we're really lucky to be in that position you know a lot a lot of brands in our price category had to give up their barrel programs and they've had to go the kind of negotiant route in terms of sourcing wines through custom crush operations it's something like like that that. how do you do like control c control v on a wine like that because even though vintage is something that can change from year to year and it's something that we all love around this 
table love about wine, but you, for that consumer, a desire for some sort of consistency, I imagine, right? Well, you know, um, I, I think there is consistency, but it's consistently getting better, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, you know, one of the things we've done, we were uh, early adopters of kind of phenolic measurements back in the 90s, and that was kind of our, you know, kind of a secret uh, competitive edge that we held for a long time. And, and uh, when we look at the pigment measurements of, of our Seven Oaks cab today, they're at or above where our, our, wow. more exp- our $35 bottle of Hilltop was 10 years ago. Wow. So we've, we, you know, and, and we're not doing any secret sauce or anything. It's just about good farming. You know, you know one of the wines that we brought here today, and I, and I texted you just to kind of see if it would even be possible, because my AHA wine, when I moved up here in 03, I was working at Vinoteca, the wine bar downtown. It was owned by the Reeds at the time. Yeah. And I just moved here. I was working. I didn't secure full-time in radio, so I was holding a little bit of a side hustle at Vinoteca, and I didn't know anything about wine. In fact, I used my theater background to bullshit my way through wine, (laughs) tasting notes, things like that. But I would do these Wine Wednesdays and one of the flights was a cuvee, and it was a vertical of 1997, 98, 99 of your cuvee series, and they had these different initials at the time. I didn't know what they meant. You can explain them to us. But you literally pulled out a bottle of your cuvee series here today. Yeah, you know, um, I brought out the cuvee pal, which is the kind of the Poyak style. Mm-hmm. I'll have you know, our friend, 50 Cent, Oh, bid two hundred thousand dollars for a case of this wine. You're kidding! And oh it gosh. took six other people to fitty, to, fitty, yeah. fitty. fitty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's your birthday. Yeah, you no. Know, uh, and anyway, th- it took six other people to pool their funds together to get the bid up to two hundred fifty thousand to to knock him off You're his kidding. perch. This was at the Houston Livestock and Rodeo where yeah. we won we won Grand Champion for Best of Show Wine out of over three thousand yeah. wines with that Cuvée Pau. Oh, and, and it's just it's just amazing. I if you know him, I would. I don't I want to. You know, I want to stalk him. I want to send him a bottle or yeah, you know, for sure. I want him to autograph a bottle for me. Right, you know? Steve. I'm I'm pretty uh, sure Fifty listens to this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> his people does. Yeah, we're gonna get us. So. So he yeah. was gonna buy. He was gonna was it for amazing. a case. Yeah, it was for for one one single case. Yeah, what they, vintage? What year? It was the one we're gonna try oh, now. The twenty seventeen. <laughs> we got it. Here. Jaylor Cuvée Pal. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> you know, one thing I want to say about Jaylor's wines is what I've always yeah. appreciated is they are absolutely the best quality possible at each price point. Mm. And I, Great I really way to put appreciate it. Yeah. that. and it leads to a question. Lean in more. What's that? Lean oh. in more. There you go. Least the question I think that um, we, a lot of us have been talking about lately is um, price points. And uh, Paso Robles wines are, are getting steadily pricier. And um, I'm wondering uh, if others at this table feel if, uh, if that's going to have ramifications that are unforeseen. Is, is it a good thing? On, on balance? What do you think, well, Pat? Well, since we were talking about J-Lor, um, I would say, you know, I think... All- our price of our wines has really been not what it costs us to buy grapes because we're not buying grapes. Is what you know Jerry usually is buying bare ground, planting the grapes, growing the grapes, farming, you know, crushing. We we figure our price from the ground up. It's very rare that you will hear in our you know meetings within this winery what will the market bear? Mm. Like mm. how much yeah. can we get mm. for this no. bottle of wine? That's it's that's it. not our that's not our our build up to a price formula. It's really f- from the other direction. So so there is a little. A little difference when you talk about you know a winery which with 
not only a state program the size that we have, but but also with you know uh, amortized back to the early seventies in terms mm-hmm. of the price of the land and so forth. But, but that, Paul is bringing up a good point, uh, and that is, and I'll let you get to your point in a shot in one second. But Paul's bringing up a good point: the culture of late, especially with some of these more popular wineries, the cult wineries. I mean, they're demanding. I mean, look. I mean, we yeah. uh, tasted a. Yeah. It's a thousand dollar bottle of cab now in Paso yeah. Robles. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. I, you know, but yeah. really, but uh, I, I yeah. it is interesting. I remember um, the Ryder Cup was held in San Diego. It's been quite a while ago, maybe even ten years ago, and uh, they wanted us to submit our our wines to to, to this special VIP tent. And uh, the only requirement was a bottle of wine needed to be seventy five dollars or higher. That was the only requirement for that was the requirement to, to, so to be there. And, and we were like, wait a minute, yeah. we our most expensive wine at that time was fifty dollars a bottle. <laughs> and, and but well, what it a, have been what that a, good then? Exactly <laughs> right. And, and so yeah, I would gladly charge you seventy five yeah. for a wine that really didn't cost us seventy five to produce. Yeah, you know, or anywhere near that. Well, yeah, there but, is a psychology though that I, I've talked to several wine makers about this that you can undercharge mm-hmm. yeah and uh if people get into the the habit of paying that price they don't want to pay more mm-hmm. even when you're quite justified in charging more i think mm-hmm. paso has definitely reached the point where yes some of the higher price wines are are definitely worth the price right um, but the, unfortunately it's it's established its reputation as the less expensive av uh region wine region uh compared to Places yeah, in Northern California. Yeah. Well, there is a hierarchy of, of Appalachian and price. And so the coastal mm-hmm. AVAs or coastal counties, so Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. San Luis Obispo, which includes Paso, Monterey, all the way up to Napa, Sonoma, I think they, they are dessert. You know, the wine quality is just better than versus the interior in most cases. And there is uh, at least w- one thing that affects our business. Randy Caparoso, he didn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, but, I'm but the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, there are plenty of exceptions. But, the, you know, the, the California Appalated, you know, which kind of in, uh, in most cases is in, interior sourced. Yeah. It's just a whole different different world quality level. We're drinking this. Uh, this wine's pretty darn good. God, oh, my I mean, goodness. I, I was going to answer, but I drank this and I just yeah. everything stopped. Yeah. This was a wine God, that I, yeah. it was the first time I tasted a wine and I was like, whoa, there's something to this. Like, this is very different than anything else I've ever tried in wine ever. Yeah. I think, you know... Um, we talk about blends, but I think the best examples of Bordeaux blends, you can actually think of it more in terms of layers, layers of flavor, almost, you know, um, this may not sound right, but, you know, I don't know, a carrot cake. You know, there's the cake and there's the frosting. There are two layers and you're actually with your fork, you're kind of playing it. You know, you're playing a game to get just that right. Almost like a song. You know, a like song? someone's producing yeah. a song. There's like your bass. There's like your melodies. There's like your harmonies. There's For like the, sure. Yeah. And and you could take it into other types of food. You know, even a, you know, a BLT. You know, mm-hmm. there's just the crunchy toast, the bacon, the tomato. The, you know, there are different layers. And, and, and so I try to... Uh, anyway, the, the beauty, beauty about the cuvee is it's built on blend and it's built on layering those flavors together. And, that, and, and when we really get it right like i think we did in 2017 with this cuvee pal you have those you know kind of conifer layers of savory you know somewhat herbal cabernet flavor you have the fruitiness uh you know the little bit more of merlot is more of a red cherry fruit um Mm. 
um, we have kind of the structural elements that mm-hmm. come from Petit Verdot, just uh, yeah. more of a textural. Are uh, these wines inherently more fun for you to make, these upper echelon parts of the portfolio? I mean, obviously, I think, you know, you could argue that the Seven Oaks, to get a, a, a wine that, you know, abundant and that solid is probably tougher. But, I yeah. mean, there's something about these where your hand's on every single one of them. More often than not, yes. You know, we'll sit together, uh, Brendan Wood, our, our red winemaker, and I will sit together and make the iterations of these blends together. And you usually we number them, or we call them A, and then oh, A's pretty good, but let's try B, and, you know, a little more of this, a little less of that. If If you're done by... E D or E, it's a, it's it is fun, as you say. If you're getting out to H G H I K L M, let's go home. Let's fold our tent. Let's fold, yeah. yeah, let's fold our tent. And go. Home. Let's try again tomorrow. So, but it, it can be either very rewarding or or it can just or, you know it, you can kind of get stuck. How much has your day to day changed since your promotion to VP of winemaking? Because you mentioned it was Brendan, right? Yeah. He's the winemaker for Reds. That's what you were. Yeah, that's so, right. So yeah, do you have a little bit of like, you kind of remember what that what that role felt like, and now you're in this role? How much of yeah, has changed? Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the tradition here is, is it's all about the pencil with the eraser, the winemaking, writing those instructions. And so, you know, the thing I m- miss the most, I no longer have like a, a callus, you know, from <laughs> so writing, so, you know, scripting every movement of, you know, this wine is to that. Is that a mechanical pencil? Thing. Yeah, it's a mechanical oh my pencil. God. So, old school. Yeah, it's yeah we we lo- we we live by those. Do you, you really? Know? My whole day just stops if I lose my pencil. I can't you, <laughs> you know until point I, seven until I yeah well, until I find that's, that's, that's a that's a great thing. Yeah, I like that. it like works it. it works for us, and that's how we five. issue all our instructions here at the winery. And more of that, you know, the mechanics, you know, say the draftsman versus the architect, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. and and not you know again not just you know, Brendan and I can fill both. We each fill both roles, um, but he he holds the the the, uh, the draftsman uh, position today and, and really looking after those detailed elements. But I think I've kind of gotten to where I enjoy the role of being a muse, you know, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 you know, I think I've, you know, getting to where, you know, I was born in 1963. So, you know, I'm 58 years old now. Um, young, uh, my littlest stepdaughter, she's eight years old. So I still have, you know, a, a lot of drivers in my life that keep me young, but I am becoming more and more comfortable being more of a mentor, more of you know, sort of a you know advisor or somebody who just challenges somebody and tries to inspire. And I have and I have, a, I have a question. I mean, you've done so much, right? Your history is is celebrated. Is there a wine or is there like a project where you really wanted you really want to do just for yourself, not for the business, not for the commercial aspect of it? What's your job title again? <laughs> Strategist? He's trying to rope you into something. Do I look uncomfortable right now, Nishad? Because yeah, thinking of those big things, I, I, that's you know, I'm the wrong guy for that. You know, I'm, I'm really, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I always look liken it to you know, I'm one of the athletes on the field. I'm not the guy you know in the skybox, you know, masterminding the whole thing. I, I really want to. But even LeBron James, ball. but even LeBron yeah. James wanted to go back to Ohio to win a championship just for himself and for the city so is there something that you want to do in the wine making in the wine making space like is yeah. there a bottle you want to create is th- there a blend you want to do you know i i think we we did you know we did talk about kind of the brand evolution that jay J- lors had we've kind of come from this value position and and uh and we've we've had wines in in more the luxury tier for qu- quite some time and i think if in my career we, you know it really bringing 
the message of how real our wines are to uh, you know, to those people who take us for granted or grabbing us, grabbing a bottle when they're at Trader Joe's or Target or BevMo. If, 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 if I can somehow extend the message of how real that is, like, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, my my I got thorns in my socks right now because I've been <laughs> I, I, I did 10,000 steps today marching through vineyards with with our vineyard managers today, um, you know, which, I'll, you know, I do about every four weeks uh, th- um, th- throughout the growing season uh, and and down to, you know, twice a week during, you know, at harvest time. Um, so that's why it, I never see a chubby winemaker. Yeah. <laughs> it's really just reconnecting that, the, you know, these are real wines. These are not, you know, uh, yeah. uh you know, I guess negotiant wine, sure, brand, right. you know, where, where, you know, uh, the pejorative term you hear in the, in the industry is juice. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, sure. you know, yes. Oh yeah. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful label and God, what a nice cork and <laughs> capsule. And, and the juice is not bad either. I, yeah. That is not who we are <laughs> right. at all. And so really just kind of getting that, that, uh, you know, so in some ways it's about the wine, Nishad, but it's about the, the messaging and really communicating, um, you know, the, the hard work and, you know, from the, you know, from the trenches up. But Steve, you know, you guys did these uh, uh, vineyard select, or I'm not sure what you called them, but or, or vineyard designate um, wines recently, these cabs and these these other things from like, I think your Creston Vineyard and maybe yep. somewhere uh, out west. And and that that was kind of a break, I think, in tradition, right? I mean, was that something that maybe you guys, you and, and Brendan, Brendan was were like, oh wow, the, mm-hmm. the fruit from this particular vineyard is doing something so cool that then you you guys created those because that's not a that's not really a normal J Lore kind of thing. The way I look at those wines, Chris, is I th- there are playground that lead to you know wines like Signature, um, mm. you know, and and uh, I. I I see Adam I in this bottle over here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Your intuition is yeah. key. This is the 18. Okay, uh, fine. S- signature. Um, and signature, this uh, is the top dog here now, right? Yeah, this is a top dog. Uh, if if you were to uh, check the results of the California State Fair, you would find that 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 according to them, this is the best red wine in California. Wow! Congrats. As of as of just a few days ago, the the, the results came out on that, and uh, so uh, this has been an ambition of ours dating back to the 2013 vintage, uh, where where we we which was the. Uh, uh, launch of of this new t- new tier, the signature tier, um, released on Jerry Lore's 80th birthday mm. on January f- uh, 1st, uh, a few years ago. And why does and, a brand like Jerry Lore think, okay, let's make a upper upper echelon, let's go, let's make another step up? I think Jerry was challenged by some of his peers um, <laughs> um, uh, that they they said, Jerry, where's your statement wine? What's your best red? And I think what. Uh, uh, you even talked about, well, I don't know what those letters mean on the cuvee, like the, the cuvee Pomerol, the cuvee Saint Emilion, right. you know. And so we really had to f- focus our efforts on creating sort of this, this statement piece. Um, and in our case, we've elected uh, all our wines are, are, you know, you'll see this uh, certified sustainable on the back label. You'll see the sub AVAs if we've got them to report. But signature, it's very clean. Paso Robles, Cabernet Sauvignon, and the vintage. That's mm-hmm. it. That's our claim. Wow. And the, 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 the differentiator, the selling point is the man. It's Jerry. Mm-hmm. It's, this, is, this is his ultimate statement. And, that, and, and my job is just to kind of, 
you know, f- to do our best to fulfill that, to corral that from our vineyard managers, um, who you know, who also ha- li- you know live with the same ambition I do, to to really try to grow the best grapes, you know, to 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 hit. This it's like a, it's like a legacy wine, right? Yeah, yeah. It, you know, no I have pressure. Sort of a, um, if I could get a little geeky um, at this point. Um, one thing I've always appreciated about uh, your reds, and, and indeed, um, you know, the, the um, Bordeaux blends that come out of Paso is um, the the soft-shouldered tannins, you know, compared to Napa. Uh, to me, that's what makes them preferable. I mean, I, I really, I do like these tannins, uh, and I, I know a lot of my readers say the same thing. Um, better than the tannins that are found in most... Uh, Napa Bordeaux blends. So, what what's behind that? Why why do they taste different? What uh, can you explain a little bit of what's going on? Yeah, and and and, I, and I'm I'm just joined you by tasting the the 2018 signature now, and and yeah, yeah our our mantra is dense but soft, you know, yeah. and I kind of help frame that you know that discussion. Yeah, how do you achieve um, that? Well, uh, got to get the grapes right. Okay, so the, the you know uh, not to go too deep, you know too much. Which we don't detail. have a problem doing here. Yeah, well, you know the the grapes color up. You know, last week of July, first week of August, right? right. You know that it's called veraison, where mm-hmm. the grapes turn from uh, green to red. They also start accumulating uh, uh, sugar at that time. But within a fortnight, which I know a man of letters like yourself knows that a fortnight. You, Ed, do you know what a fortnight is? I thought it was a game. <laughs> <laughs> Four score and seven years ago. Yeah. Within a fortnight, two weeks yeah. time, uh, essentially all the pigments, the anthocyanins have been produced by the vine. Right. They're done. Phenolically. What, phenolically. And wow. what, what bricks are we looking at at that point? At that point, you're probably 18 bricks. Yeah. Oh. And you're six weeks from harvest. Right. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. Cool. And so, uh, what changes mm-hmm. is basically the permeability of of the cell walls or whatever, just the the extractability of of that mm-hmm. pigment. So you don't have to you know hammer on the skins right. to get that pigment out into uh-huh. the juice because they're kind of in, the pigments are encapsulated in in the cell walls right. you know and so uh you know so you got to get the grapes ripe through hang time and and uh we have a very scientific test where i go out and i walk into the field i throw a handful of grapes on my mouth i munch them up and i spit out the juice the ju- juice comes out clear or kind of light pink it ain't ready mm. if it you know if i spit and it spits out red we're you know we're ready to go because that way i know when i crush those grapes into the fermenter that color is just going to come gushing out right the other piece has to do with just being accelerating the the heat get you know nice hot warm fermentation at the front end get all that color out and then we we tend to uh, drain and press a little on the early side because mm. the tannins come out later in the fermentation once alcohol is present. Right. You know, and this is all stuff that was worked out honestly in the 1950s at, at UC Davis. That you know, the the pigments are water soluble, the 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 tannins are alcohol soluble. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think um, is your, is just, your is yeah. your approach is this really kind of scientific way of approaching it? Is that Normal. I'm not sure how to ask that question, but is that sort of prevalent in the industry here or industry anywhere? It's probably become normal in the last five years. I'd say, you know, prior to to uh, um, maybe 2015 or so, you know, even they weren't teaching it in, in the mm. in the universities. Um, mm-hmm. um, it's become more. Co- it's it's it today. I'd say it's 
every college kid that graduates, they know what I'm talking about. Well, I feel like even ten years the- ago, it, it, people were just they, they, they didn't know, even mm-hmm. if they'd gone to winemaking school. I feel like just the conversation more about phenolics has been something more commonplace, even among folks who are translating that story to folks like us who are mm-hmm. drinking the wine. You right. Know, you're, hearing more, you're hearing people, you know, kind of gravitate to words like that more. Yeah. When and, you've been doing it, like you said, since the 90s. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, flavor wise, you know, I, I, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, you know, how do you like your coffee? You want it, you know, that espresso and that hard bitterness, that kind of punch in the face. Um, if that's your gig, you're not going to like the astringency levels of our wines. Because as you go from our Seven Oaks cab at under 20 to, to Hilltop and kind of the 30, 40 range to Signature at $100 a bottle. The wines get darker and darker, mm. but it, it, in actuality, they get softer. You don't get that, that those screws turned on you, at, you know, that uh, you said soft, rounded shoulder tannins. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that term. And, and uh, that's really our house style. And that's really the goal that we're trying to see. Have you ever tasted Seven Oaks next to Signature? Uh, we can do that. I think we, I think we should. <laughs> we have a seven oaks in the house. <laughs> really? That we could do that. That, that, that Bro, would be a first. Like a, yeah. So then you're not using petite. <laughs> you're not using petite verdot for for color then. Uh, if, uh, if you're getting this kind of well. In this case, the signature it's it's just one uh, percent petite yeah, verdot. So that's yeah. where you know it, things are moving very quickly during harvest and during those fermentations. So you're going to drain and press to try to achieve that softness. Yeah. The petit verdot is, you know, that that's, you know, that, you know, late, something you can do uh, very intentionally, you know, in the springtime, at, you know, after harvest. And right. that's where you'd kind of go, ah, we aimed a little too soft here. Let's, you know, let's tip a little petit verdot in to build that structure. Let's tip a little... Uh, uh, Samacare in mm. there, uh, which is uh, one is of the, it's 7% of this blend. So, uh, what, what, I'm sorry, what did Friday just say? Okay. So, can you name five Bordeaux varieties, Nashad? You know, you damn well know I can. Yeah. Cabernet, Merlot, Cap Franc, Petit Verdot, uh, Malbec. Yeah. All right. Any smarty pants here can name number six? Have you ever been to Chile? I have. Carmen Yeah, I was going to say that, Paul. Good job. Sorry. Yeah. So there's Carmen <laughs> But if, if you could free, read French and go back to 1855 and, and read the Declaration of, of Permitted Varieties for Bordeaux, there were two others. The, 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 the number seven, I would call it, is called Gros Verdot, G-R-O-S. So instead of Petit Verdot, it's the fat. The right. little Verdot, it's the fat Verdot. Huh. And the number eight is a variety called St. Macaire, and there's a village called St. Macaire. Sam McCare in 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 Bordeaux, and it's a little bit um, it's it's very much in our house style in that the the color is off the charts. This is the inky darkest colored wine you'd ever want to know, but it's really soft and tan. It's deeper than Petit Verdot in color. It's tar- it's definitely it's darker than Petit Verdot, and Petit Verdot can, it can be pretty leathery. In fact, yeah, you know, it's be very astringent. Yeah, yeah. And most winemakers, when they're adding in Petit Verdot, they're not after. Um, um, color. They're they're actually after tannin. They're after. Mm. Oh, is that structure. right? Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, where Malbec kind of plays that other side, where it's it's very deeply pigmented but soft and tannin. But Malbec can kind of get too raspberry and yes. kind of mm-hmm. high, high tone, and it can kind of screw up the 
Cabernet-ish flavor profile because right. it's just too floral, God, that, that, floral and That fruity. grape is as unique as like St. Laurent grape. We don't hear much <laughs> about that going on. Yeah. 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 Well, I feel like I, we did a podcast with Kenny Volk and he, I mean, he was bringing all kinds of like Cabernet Pfeffer and like yeah. things I've never even heard of. I've never heard of Cabernet Pfeffer, but I don't think it was one of the Bordeaux, you know, right. uh, uh, you know, kind of noble varieties. Sure. And so. You heard of that one, Paul? Um, no, <laughs> you know, Cabernet Pfeffer. I was like, "What?" The beard knows. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah. but 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 Kenny Volk. I mean, this he's a legend too. Like, he knows. Yeah. Been forever. He knows the stuff. So what uh, Jessica's doing right now is she is bringing by a glass of Seven Oaks Cab, and we're literally going to do it right next to the signature cab. So we are going with the, which is the entry level, the calling card. What did you call it? The uh, I said entry level. What did yeah, you call it? Yeah. Well, I just kind of the, the, the handshake, greeting, the, the, the handshake, you know, the, the, the postcard from Pastor Robles. What is the yeah. uh, what is Seven Oaks retail? for roughly ish oh it's uh what about 18 uh yeah. I, used to, I used to buy this stuff for like $11. Yeah, no, yeah. sure. I mean, Seven yeah. Oaks is like his calling card. Okay, so when you taste both of them next to each other, and we'll kind of let everyone kind of bounce off with this, but I'm curious what Steve Peck has to say. Seven Oaks and the next of the signature. Yeah, I mean, um, it's more youthful, more red-fruited, but it's a it's a mature wine. It's still has that um, kind of dense entry on, on my palate. Oh, a lot of red fruit. And the finish is still soft. Very soft. Oh, yeah. yeah. It may not be as long as the bigger wines we're tasting, but mm-hmm. that's... That's mm-hmm. a pretty long finish. It's a yeah. $17 wine. That's, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It, it, it leaves yeah. me... It, you know, I, I can kind of pick out uh, uh, some notes of American oak because it is mm-hmm. aged in, in 20% new American oak barrels. I was going to say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Even Steve didn't believe it. Medium that. plus toast. Were you right, about yeah, to say that yeah, too? Yeah. yeah. I'm, going, I'm going medium on that one. I'm going medium. I think this, I think this vintage called for a medium... And then, so, uh, what is the retail? What are we asking for the signature? The signature is, is at $100 a bottle because, again, it's really that statement piece. I was just in the block this morning. Two tons an acre um, is the farming. It's, you know, it's a 22-year-old block on pretty loose spacing, actually. You know, planted on this moonstone. Uh, like, it's just calcareous white rock uh, up at 1,700-foot elevation in, in from Preston. The, from the nose to the finish. It's a spectacular bottle of wine. Yeah, and that's where that that layering is really of aromas, layering of flavors after the fact is really something that that um, we start to see as we move up the price tiers. Let's say from you know under twenty dollars up to that hundred dollar level, we can we can really be very selective about what we put in that blend. I was recently in New Kuyama for the weekend, which I know no one's ever said that sentence before <laughs> because you normally drive right through it, but yeah. they have, they're like trying to create a resurgence. I know in where area. it is. I've seen it on the map, but I've never visited. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we stayed there literally like a long weekend and went wine tasting out there and did some really, it was really interesting. The, uh, the, the Kuyama Buckhorn, it's an old uh, motor lodge that they completely like, you know, tricked out. It's nice and beautiful food. Like it's a, it's a little scene there now and they're really trying to grow it as such. Anyways, one of the things when I was talking to some of the winemakers out there is um, one of the dudes was an agroecology professor and he was just talking about plantings and things because of climate change and what he's noticing there. It's very warm. What are some things that you've noticed and having the resources you do with all the land underneath you? Have you seen things with like, okay, if we're going to replant things, we're going we're gonna to space them different or different things just from what you've noticed in the last, say, 10 years because of things? Yeah. Probably 15 years ago, Jerry Lohr uh, started planting. Uh, st- he stopped planting Merlot here at the winery at, here on Airport Road in the Estrella District of Paso Robles, uh, 
and you put in solar panels. Started, well, yeah, and he started planting Merlot only exclusively down seven miles south of here, closer to the Templeton Gap Got it. In, mm-hmm. in Templeton in the El, El Pomar district um, because it was cooler and that's what Merlot needed. Today, um, you know, those vineyards have been in the ground close to 20 years now. So I said 15, but it's closer to 20. We uh, are looking at replanting those Merlot vines into Cabernet, in, into what was traditionally an wow. area that would be too cool to, to ripen Cabernet. Mm. So for, for us, um, you know, so in the smallest way, I, I think there is a connection that that uh, that climate change arguments real. Uh, you know, the, 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 the big thinkers, you know, think that, you know, Cabernet is going to be king in Seattle, you know, before <laughs> oh, before, before we all, you know, you know, kick the bucket. But, who, you know, who knows? That's the voice of Steve Peck. He's one of the winemakers in this book here, Drive Through Paso Robles. Uh, Steve Peck is the vice president of winemaking here, where we are sitting around the table at J-Lor. We also have uh, Paul Hodgins, who's uh, the author, Nishad Huda. Uh, Chris Toronto is here hanging out. Uh, let me ask you, Paul, and we talked a little bit earlier uh, just about, you know, making this book here. Mm-hmm. I imagine that y- you make this book, you got this all this info some of it is on the cutting room floor there's probably some of it that you w- you wish wasn't did do you feel a little bit of a fire inside to do something else to do another one or to do something like that or is this kind of like the, the the statement in and of itself and there really is not needed another one well of course you want to do more because you know, every time i come up here there's another half dozen new new wineries that i want to explore and you know i, I drop by uh close or you know some other younger winemaker doing something really interesting and cool and I, yeah I, I i feel like there's there's so much going on here right now it's um it's a very dynamic place right now um and i'd love to cover that and i think there are a lot of factors in play that are going to determine where this this place goes in the next generation i mean people talk about napification you know and i think that's a Something that uh, seriously concerns my uh, my readers um, of Paso, yeah. Whether uh, you know it's going to become another Napa, or I don't think it will. In fact, we had, a, its own we had a guest on a recent podcast, maybe two or three episodes ago. The point was. We'll never become another Napa for a lot of reasons because of the individuality of Paso, but also because we're not 40, 50 minutes from a San Francisco. You know, the way Napa became the way it was was because of these factors of Mm. it being literally just a jet set from, uh, you know, a place uh, from San Francisco Mm. when we are, you know, two and three quarter hours from two big metropolitan areas. But I don't know. I don't see us becoming another Napa. And I guess this could be defined in different ways. One could argue, oh, yeah, if a bottle is 100 bucks now, if we're getting more $100 bottles, then is that an amplification? I guess so. Yeah. I guess we can be subjective in what we classify as an amplification, but I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, I think you made a very good point, which is that maybe uh, Paso is saved from, from that fate uh, by virtue of its location, which is almost perfectly placed midway between L.A. and, and uh and uh, San Francisco. It's like about how far you want to live away from your mother-in-law, right? You know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of people have thought about that, right? Like, so from San Francisco, yeah, she could be in your house in Napa, you know, before lunchtime and, and, and stay for dinner and still make it home. Yeah. Yeah. But Paso... 
you know, you, you got to think about it twice. Yeah. Gotta, I really want to go there. I got that overnight. Yeah. Genius, Steve. Steve Peck, the vice president of uh, winemaking here. I can't thank you enough for bringing out all the goodness. I mean, we so went many bottles. all the way to Seven Oaks to the the, mo- the highest echelon that you represent. Man, this Chardonnay, this Pinot Blanc, I'm a, I'm like a whites to me right now are my thing. You know, I love the whites. You are killing it. And um, it's so fun to like think of the first conversation I have with you, all the rapport I've been so blessed to have with you, and then to have you here now. It really means a lot that you invited us here. Yeah, I, I really love your energy, Adam. Thanks. You're welcome here anytime. Come visit us out here on Airport Road, you know. Drive through Paso Robles is the book. You can pick it up here at JLor. You can get it on Amazon. You can also get it um, in any any one of these tasting rooms, like we talked about. Uh, J. Ducey, Austin Hope, Copia. General Store. General Store. Love the ladies of the General Store, Paso Robles. And then, of course, if you are listening to this, we've got all 50 states download this podcast. 91 countries now You're have downloaded now. this podcast. So you can go to Amazon and you can get this book that we're talking about here. And I will tell you, we're going to get a couple copies of this book that we're going to have Paul Nashad. Uh, Maybe even Steve Peck sign. Shoot, Chris Toronto will sign it, and we'll sign it. We'll all sign this book and uh, get you a couple copies. So uh, go leave, go leave a review. Do a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you liked about this, and um, a few people that we have some for will hook up. So I can't thank you. What a great conversation. Thank you. Love it. Thank you, man. Thank Thank you very much. To where wine takes Adam. Thank you you so much. Thank you, Adam. Chris. Thank you. Steve, thank you. All right, guys. Give me that passion. We'll get by. We pass on around till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. I love it. Much thanks to that group of great humans. So cool having Steve Peck on the air again. Isn't he great? Also to meet Nashad and Paul. So proud of those guys, how they were able to take their own dreams for this book and what they love about Paso and make it in a way that adopted all the same things we already all love about Paso. It's approachable and it's world-class. Also fun having Chris Toronto in the mix as well. Okay, so the guys all signed a few copies of the book here and we want to hook you up with them. If you want to enter to win, you just got to go to Apple Podcast, rate Where Wine Takes You five stars, leave a review Now, since that won't let me know how to send this to you or connect with you, once you do that, find me on Instagram and just send me a direct message and I'll get your address and who knows, I could be sending you an autographed copy of drive through Paso Robles from today's show. Again, Apple Podcasts, drop five stars, write a review, hit me up on Insta at Adam on the air and shoot me a DM and let's go. All right. Earlier, we talked about the second annual Paso wine auction, 100% virtual and going on 100% right now. You can go check it out. Get your hands on some of these uh, experiences. I mean, stuff you cannot get your hands on. You got to get to PasoWine.com and check this out. Maybe grab some friends, get in on something. There are a lot of experiences here that you just can't find anywhere else and really have only been conceived because of this auction. It's for a great cause too. Paso uses the money for scholarships for young men and women right here in the area, as well as giving back to other nonprofits in the area, like say Must Charities and more. We're the organizations that are already doing the work. All the money stays here to make this community even better than it already is. All right, how about some of these lots though? How about this one? The Adelaide's. You get a full day of tasting and hang time with Valia from Desperada. Molly from Alta Kalina and Little Soul. We had her on recently. Riley Roddick from Hubba and Jordan Fiorentini of Epic Estate Wines. Damn, that is an all-star lineup. All the ladies have uh, 
blessed this microphone and been on this show. You know how fun they are? This would be a blast. A day for 10 of you to enjoy. Grand Crew Limo will take you around. You end with dinner on York Mountain. Man, how about this one? Austin Hope's Ultimate Paso Wine Country Tour for four. So you and three friends hop in a freaking helicopter and you get to take in Paso Wine Country from above. Tour all the 11 sub-AVAs of Paso Wine. Learn from a bird's eye view why they are so distinct and so special. Land at Austin Hope's Winery for a VIP tasting red carpet tour. This sounds so much fun. From there, hop in a limo and off to some lunch overlooking the vineyards with your group. Unbelievable. Uh, wine getaways, wine lineups. I see Peachy Canyon, Saxum in here. There's a Tin City package, a Tablas Creek package, Tobin James package. There's really something for everyone. So go check out the lots. Get to PasoWine.com. Bidding closes Saturday, 5 p.m. local time. But you can peruse the lots and bid from anywhere. So go check out PasoWine.com. Wow, what a show. Make sure you do visit PasoWine.com for any and all things Paso before your next trip. Follow Paso Wine on Instagram at Paso Wine. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Wine. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. Where Wine Takes You is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. You can find me on Instagram, pics of the show, and more at Adam on the Air. Original music on Where Wine Takes You, Good Company, performed by Moonshiner Collective. Find them wherever you get your music and at moonshinercollective.com. Equipment transport and technical consideration provided by my friends Fly With Wine. They have totally changed my life and not only how I get my wine from here to there, but my equipment. I love it. Flywithwine.com for more. Next time you're cruising on the Central Coast, you can tune me in on your radio. My morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning, heard weekday mornings, 6 to 10 a.m. on Wine Country Radio here at The Crush 92.5. We stream anywhere, Crush with a K, crush925.com. We also got a free app in your smartphone. Thank you in advance for sharing the podcast with a friend. And if you haven't yet, dropping five stars, maybe writing a review or subscribing to the podcast in your podcast app, whatever you're using. We really, really appreciate it. And I love connecting with you here. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Until next time, glass up. Till your next drive through Paso Robles. The people you meet, the wines you taste, and the time you have sharing where wine takes you. And give me that passion, give all we pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify on good company. Give me that moonshine, give all we pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify on good company. Give me that moonshine, give all we pass on down till the job is in the trees who will simplify in good company with that moonshine we'll get by we pass all around till the job is dry camped out in the trees who will simplify in good company